0: This podcast is sponsored by Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management, award-winning wealth managers who go above and beyond to support and guide you. Visit candowealth.com to start building your wealth with confidence.
1: Hello and welcome to Coffee House Shots, the Spectator's daily politics podcast. I'm Katie Balls and I'm joined by Isabel Hardman and James Forsyth. Overnight, we've had the result of the French elections and Macron is still in position. James, how did Marine Le Pen do? Did she do better than expected? She surpassed the 40% mark.
0: She did breach the 40% mark, as as you say, Katie. But I think in the end, this was a a fairly comfortable victory for Emmanuel Macron. Obviously, wait to see what happens in the parliamentary elections. But but this was, you know, and if you look, though, you see what a large percentage of both their votes were voting to stop the other. Um, around 40% in both, in both cases. The British view had always been that, you know, an improvement in Anglo-French relations was going to have to wait until after the French elections, that at that point it would, you know, when Emmanuel Macron was not engineering, it might be possible for, for things to improve. I am slightly sceptical that things are going to improve that much because I think we saw at the end of last week, and I think given Boris Johnson's political position at the moment, it's quite likely that you see some unilateral action by the UK government in regards to the Northern Ireland Protocol I think if that would have happened that you know that would essentially knock off any prospects of a great you know anglo-french rapprochement I also think that you know that while Ukraine has pushed the two together you do see some distance between the UK position and the UK is almost actively seeking to marshal uh, a more hawkish coalition, you know, involving, uh, you know, the joint expeditionary force countries, uh, which, which I think is in slight contrast to the Franco-German position on on, on the, the Ukraine question. So I think while Emmanuel Macron has comfortably won re-election, I don't expect to see a great improvement in Anglo-French relations anytime soon.
1: Isabel, there definitely been a sense in government ahead of the French elections that it was hard to make much headway on issues because uh, both sides were playing it to domestic audiences, particularly when it came to um, obviously the French side for, for obvious reasons. Do you think on issues like small boat crossings there's now a chance for a reset, or actually are other attitudes pretty entrenched in terms of how the Home Secretary and the Prime Minister have approached these problems?
2: There's certainly an appetite in number 10 for a reset. Uh, They hope that actually a lot of the tensions over small boats and so on uh, were down to electioneering rather than longer term and uh, more intractable differences between Macron and Boris Johnson. And that's something that, that Boris Johnson is going to be pushing for in the coming weeks. It's certainly something that would... Uh, be beneficial to both sides but particularly to Boris Johnson as he seeks to give the impression that Brexit has has not only been done but is working rather than having these very embarrassing and as we've said before in this podcast quite immature disputes that that blow up from something very very small into a sort of you know an international crisis where you've got threats of gunboats going to Jersey.
1: Now James when it comes to elections here the local elections are fast approaching Over the weekend, there's been various briefings, some from MPs who've been saying this for some time, effectively saying that this is going to be a trigger point for Boris Johnson and this could be the moment that MPs start to move against him. What are you picking up?
0: So I think if you talk to Tory MPs, it's not the results, I think, that matters that much to a lot of people. I think a lot of people feel uncomfortable about the idea about, you know, rocking the boat while they've got kind of council candidates in the field. I thought quite tellingly, one former cabinet minister said to me, you know, that that he and, and and several colleagues of his ilk were thinking about what to say when the polls close on the election night, at which point we'll have no idea what the results now i i personally think that, that this is something that, that a point that you've made many times katie recently you know the results are always going to be spinnable in local elections you know that there will you know because people do vote on local factors as well as national factors there'll be tories who make gains or hold on somewhere slightly unexpectedly and you know that will be highlighted by boris johnson's defenders and also we are into this kind of Expectations game stage of things where you know the idea that if the Tories have one council left in the country, uh, come Friday morning, that will be a great result for a government in mid term, and you know, one that most governments in mid term would bite your right hand off for, kind of thing. So, I, I,
1: I guess don't see think- Labour over the weekend putting out their own expectation management, yes,
0: yeah, everyone goes, it, it, all parties do this, and so I think that you what we will see is more what do Tory MPs do when there isn't actually an election on. And then the other big question about Tory MPs is, are all these reasons Tory MPs have for acting? Is there always ultimately going to be another one? You know, As, as one rather cynical Tory put it to me, you know, first it's the local elections, then it's the Wakefield by-election. That there's always some reason to put off the moment of decision. Or... Are these people actually waiting and going to move in? I think certainly Boris Johnson's position becomes more difficult in the immediate aftermath of the local elections, just because a there is an election going on to kind of to hold people back, and also because the local elections mark the beginning of a period where it's very hard to see where the political relief comes from from the government. You've got a cost of living crisis, but it's going to make people feel worse off. You've got six million plus people on the NHS waiting list. And where is the good news going to come from for the government? And it's worth remembering that, you know, the Tories are polling in the, in the low 30s at the moment, even before these events uh, and the pain of the energy price rise and the national insurance hike and the like have really been felt by voters.
1: Isabel, what does a good result look like for labor This There's been quite eyebrow raising expectation management going on over the weekend coming from Keir Starmer's uh, supporters. Um, so what are they looking to do? Is it red
2: wall areas or is, is it more general than that? Well, as you've said, Katie, there's, there is a lot of expectation management on, on both sides. Partly, I think, actually, the challenge is is probably now greater for the Labour Party because everyone is expecting the Conservative Party to, to have such a bad showing. Boris Johnson was asked today about whether the party could lose 800 seats in the local elections. And for Keir Starmer, this comes back down to whether or not the party is able to capitalise on some of its national opinion poll gains and some of the, uh, the what, the many slip-ups by the government on this. Uh, there's also been the um, the complaint from the Labour Party, from Keir Starmer, repeated again over the weekend that uh, the Metropolitan Police aren't going to uh, be issuing any updates on fines um, from Partygate um, in the run-up to these local elections, although we are actually being updated by Boris Johnson's spokesperson on whether or not he personally has received any fines, which today the latest update is he has not.
1: Now, finally, uh, in the news today, it's a story about Angela Rayner from Sunday involving basic instinct, uh, which quickly led to a public backlash. And today, the Prime Minister's threatened terrors of the earth over Tories Angela Rayner claims. James, can you bring listeners up to date for those who missed the roar on Sunday?
0: So on Sunday, the Mail on Sunday ran an article with an unnamed Tory MP with, with no idea of who this Tory MP is is what their role is, saying that Angela Rayner was attempting to distract Boris Johnson using a technique similar to Sharon Stone in Basic Instinct, but but while clothed. This understandably led to a lot of people getting very cross about the piece and its tone and the fact that, that it was based on an anonymous source. Boris Johnson then wrote to Angela Rayner yesterday to apologise in a in a private letter that the newspaper seems to have found out that he wrote. And today Boris Johnson has basically said that if they find out which Tory MP said this, they will know terrors of the earth, but they know not yet, you know, a uh, line from, from King Lear. Now, I think it is relatively unlikely, to put it mildly, but the Tory MP who said this is going to be discovered because it's not like there's a kind of active inquiry or anything like that. And in another development in the story, Lindsay Hoyle, the Speaker of the House of Commons, has just now said that he is seeking a meeting with the editor of the Mail on Sunday about the story, uh, as well as one of the, the representatives of the lobby in Parliament to... To Discuss it. We now wait to see kind of where this goes next. We know from from, from that Caroline Noakes, the chair of the Women and Qualities Committee, has demanded that the journalist wrote the story's lobby pass be revoked. So we can wait to see what happens. And I think we can take from the fact that Lindsay Hall is requesting this meeting that but, but it, is, it is unlikely that he is going to start removing passes. I think mean, he more wants to, to kind of pass on his displeasure, and and I suspect the argument he will make is that the lobby system was was not designed for reporting of this type.
2: Isabel, what do you make of it all? Yeah, I agree with James that there should be some anxiety over politicians demanding uh, the removal of journalists' lobby passes, uh, regardless of how distasteful most people find certain stories. I think... Politicians uh, uh, may find that, that 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 takes them down a route that they don't particularly uh, want to go down themselves. But I think that the reaction to it has been really interesting. One, once again, it's uh, reminded a lot of female MPs and female journalists of some of the the challenges they face in doing their job. Even now, I mean, the the lobby has changed to my mind, beyond recognition since I joined it and I, I became a lobby journalist 11 years ago and there are just so many more women here now and it's it's much less of a, of a boys' club even than it was a decade ago. But that said, um, and I think Rachel Reeves put this quite well this morning, every female MP, every staffer has a story a bit like this. Um, you know, somebody suggesting that they'd be deploying their sort of... Well, the, the sort of the behaviour of Sharon Stone in Basic Instinct um, to try to put a man off is it, the kind of thing that that is not alien to lots of female MPs today, unfortunately. Um, And I think an, another side thing to this, which probably benefits Rainer in a, in a strange way, is, is that the story was briefed by somebody who said that she was doing it because she couldn't compete with the training that Boris Johnson had received at the Oxford Union, which has led a lot of people to point out that actually Angela Raine is quite good in the House of Commons. <laughs> and uh, Boris Johnson seems to find her exchanges much more um, of a challenge but perhaps much more enjoyable as well than he does with Sir Keir Starmer um, and she's certainly not somebody who struggles in, in that particular forum so the idea that the, uh, the Oxford Union is the only place where you might become a, a good debater I think has, has possibly been debunked not least by the way that the Prime Minister has conducted himself in the Commons over the past few months.
1: Thank you Isabel, thank you James and thank you for listening.